Yeah. Come and get this dope shit straight from the plug, nigga. What? We ain't even selling dubs, nigga. What? This that bioluminescent for your nightlight. We deliver every time, nigga. Right life so good, you ain't gotta reincarnate it. If I does, then I'm coming back to study myself. Y'all be coming up with fleas, I don't muddy myself. I can't let you niggas trouble my health or trouble my wealth. Cause every dollar is a sum of myself. I heard you niggas say I'm full of myself, but how I'm full of myself? When every song I give you some of myself, I be damned if I front on myself. You niggas stone crazy. I never been up on them stone soul stages, and I would never sell my soul for no Grammy Award. Tell me, would you sacrifice that whole family of yours for the fame and the fans who applaud? It's all about balance. In New York, they say if you make it there, you can make it anywhere. But shit, niggas make it from there all the time. Don't nobody make it from Richmond. Make it from here, you got to be blessed. You gotta give it maximum motherfucking I done been out of my mind for a long time I done hung wanting a cosign on a clothesline I ain't no slave to niggas validation I learned to save my energy and where to allocate it That's how we calibrate it Fallacies told on rap records like every day Always in the middle of chaos like pepper spray Tempest flare, you niggas was never there You niggas should never swear These problems is everywhere My city is reckless my city is beautiful, my city potential is like mine, it's through the roof, so what we frontin' for nigga is you and I, and we know Jesus won't crucify, no suit and tie, be careful what you scrutinize, niggas always talking about putting on, but really all they be worried about is what they putting on, so why you frontin' in your Sunday's best, I be aiming at you runway vets, talk to me nice. Ain't nobody do us no motherfucking favors, and we done inspired one of the biggest artists of this generation. You talk about in your Virginia Union lecture how you quit your job to really focus on you being an artist full time. You know, how's that been going for you? Because, I mean, that's a huge commitment to make, especially when you're supporting a family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's been it's gratifying, obviously. Um, it, it definitely gets challenging at times. Um, you know, when you're used to making a certain kind, amount of money, um, you know, it's just adjusting to, to, to making sure that you're budgeting and putting the attention not only on the work and the music, but also on just like your, your day-to-day things and, you know, just keeping the family. It's, it's just really a, a matter of balance. Um, finding balance is as best possible is like, is the most important thing when you're like, um, I guess being an entrepreneur in general, um, focusing on business, focusing on family, focusing on, you know, personal health and, um, and all of that stuff is, it's just, it's necessary. No doubt. And you made a huge announcement today, just about season two of the RVA rap elite. And, you know, for anybody not from Richmond or Virginia, RVA is Richmond, Virginia and RVA rap elite is something that you've been doing a really awesome job of, you know, can you talk about what that is and what that announcement was? Sure. Um, it started out last year in January as uh, RBA Lyricist Lounge. Um, we transitioned. We, we, you know, last year we were at Strange Matter. Um, towards the end of the year last year, Strange Matter closed. Um, so we transitioned over to uh, the Gold Room, and we also switched the brand and the name from RBA Lyricist Lounge to RBA Rap Elite. Um, the the model is still the same as far as its focus is on, you know, the penmanship, the craft, 
um, the ciphers, the bars, just bringing kind of like that that nostalgia back, that place where it's like um, where you get your rite of passage to say, you know, you're a dope MC. You know, it used to be, you know, that used to be the thing. Like if you were a rapper, like you had to go somewhere, at least out in the street or the barbershop or school or whatever, you had to go rap in public and people had to tell you you were nice um, before, you know, you would even think of even going to the studio. Um, and I think now there's, it's like because of the internet and because of the access and the home studios and everything, I think people are just kind of skipping over those levels. And I think that's part of where you see, you know, the decline and some of the quality of music. Um, not that that's across the board, there's tons of great hip hop music out there. Um, but I think a lot of the youth. Um, definitely skip some levels you know it's kind of like you can record on at home on a youtube beat and and pop it up on soundcloud and you're a rapper you know what i'm saying so we just wanted to kind of hit the reset button in richmond where it gave people an opportunity to to not only network but just to come out and, and really earn their name um on stage by like you know, getting in a cipher and, and just moving a crowd with, with just bars or just what you wrote with your pen. And that's, that's the goal is to try to, you know, um, improve on on that aspect of the craft. And so it's it's a um it's a variety hip hop event. So usually there's a there's battles, there's ciphers, there's live performances. Um and then we film it all and we, you know, redistribute that on YouTube and IG. And what I really like about that, too, is that emphasis on skill, because when you're in the studio, I mean, I've seen it myself with like dudes who just like punch in every few lines or there's a ton of effects you can put on your voice if your voice isn't sounding the way you want it to. But like right. what, what you're looking at is like show and prove like, you know, it's a different skill set to be able to rock a cypher or a show or some kind of challenge or battle. So how important is that piece to you that? that skill set of showing you can do this on a stage versus like going to a studio and having, you know, a million takes and a million effects over your voice. I mean, that's, uh, that's how we came up in, you know, the era I came up in. I mean, that was what it was about is, you know, being an MC, you know, not just a, you know, not just a rapper, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the term rapper or being a rapper, but like, you know, we pride ourselves and, in our lyrics, you know, and being able to be clever enough to, you know, to impress upon people with just what we wrote, you know, and not um, how we structured a song or what the beat was and, you know, any of that stuff. It's just really, you know, what can you do with, with your pen and, and how you deliver what you wrote? Um, and I think that, you know, to me and to the crop of MCs I came up with, uh, Nicholas F., Michael Green, you know, the, the list goes on. Um, that's that's what we respect still, you know, but above all else. We can appreciate all different types of, you know, music, rap music, hip-hop music, other genres of music. But when it comes to emceeing and it comes to, like, pure rapping, you know, that's just something that we will never um, lose sight of. It's It's just constant. And, you know, it's just important to us. So I wanted to inject something in this generation that gives that some, si some sort of credence to. Because it, it got to the point where, like, 
being a lyricist was like considered taboo to some extent. No doubt. And with you really taking charge of, you know, just, you know, planning events and really putting yourself out there, not just as an artist, but as someone who's bringing others together and really cultivating this Richmond scene. What's it like balancing, you know, radio be the artist versus like the organizer? Uh, I mean, that was a conversation I had um, uh, recently. Um, you know, that was like a concern that was brought to my attention you know it's just like you know hey you know keep in mind you know you, you you're you're doing a lot and, you know you you have to put your face out there to to host these events and to be the face of all of this stuff um and hopefully you know it doesn't distract people from you know what it is that you really do which is the music um and, and you know my goal is like i said once at the beginning too is it's just trying to create that balance there um i've been focusing on the events a little bit more so than the music especially since the start of the year um mainly because we did have some major changes um and i wanted to make sure that we didn't lose momentum um especially when you do a brand change and a location change all of that at one time especially because like we stopped rapidly in October every year, or that's the plan this year, and that was what we did last year. So there was also a break. So but there was a break between October and the top of the year, and then we switched everything. So um, a lot of times that can, you know, cause a slow up in the events um, or just people's attention and just, you know, the momentum of everything. Um, so I've been focusing a little bit more on the events than I have the music. And then also uh, I battled on Smack. Um, uh, February. Um, so I was kind of focused on that as well. Um, but I have a lot of music that I plan on releasing this year. So, um, that should definitely balance things out once I clear enough space to just to get it all knocked out and and packaged and rolled out. I'll be putting out a lot of music this year. So I don't, I, I, I'm not concerned about, you know, one outweighing the other. I feel like once this music starts coming out, it'll definitely shift things back um, in that direction. So, For sure. I mean, that's definitely a lot to balance. And as far as you as well, you know, the battling, I definitely want to talk to you about that, but, you know, you just brought it up. So let, let's let's talk about that now. What What's the battling been like for you? And how is that, like, just that mind state for you versus, you know, looking at going in the studio for, like, an album like Jesus Never Wore a Suit? Um, the, the thought process is absolutely totally different. Um, it is definitely more centralized on the individual that I'm, you know, facing and, and just how to position myself to win and to impress upon the crowd. Um, as opposed to, you know, like an album specifically like Jesus Never Wore a Suit, which you know, it's, it's has a lot of artistic dimensions and a lot of social ramifications and social commentary um, that it requires it to be framed a certain kind of way. And, and you know, it, it's just a lot of, it's a, just a totally different mindset and a totally different approach. Um, battle rap for me 
is a little different than it probably is for a lot of people coming into it. Um, I started a league um, right relatively soon after my first battle. So I, I actually run a league, uh, own a league with uh, the guy that I battled the first time, which is Bravo and Nicholas F. We, we collectively own Southpaw Battle Coalition. Um, so my foray into battle rap has been once again kind of like I wear two hats um, as a battler and as a league owner. Um, so it, but being a league owner at Southpaw is kind of what allowed me to be able to frame rap elite to happen um, because it it conditioned me to booking events on more of a regular basis as opposed to like Flag on the Moon, which is once a year. Um, it just put me in the mindset of how to, you know, work with the venues, promote the events on a more regular basis. And then also with the filming aspect of the battles um, and being used to filming the content and releasing the film content is kind of what helped me set the model for rapidly um so it's just all been kind of um just like i'm just picking up and learning and growing as i do these different things and i'm just kind of adding them to the like overall portfolio or the overall radio b brand to where and now it's just coming to a place where there's just like a little ecosystem that i'm trying to create um that just revolves around the culture and that we can all, that I can just kind of bounce energy from one to the other. Um, and I think it's getting there. So once I feel like once I, it gets, everything gets established the way it's supposed to, I think I can step back and let it kind of run itself and it allow me to, to do things, you know, like I want to do them as far as like when I want to do music and when I want to take time and just be with the family and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of grinding now to, to get, get it all, um, you know, in place and running. No doubt. And when you, when you look at that in the Richmond scene, I mean, what's been the response so far? I mean, is, do you feel like the artists overall, is, is it a pretty supportive environment? Because I mean, a, like a lot of areas, you know, sometimes the more successful you are, the more, you know, you get torn down locally. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, you know, in the past, we would always refer to Richmond as like a crab barrel kind of environment um, when I was younger. Um, as I've gotten older and become a little more aware of myself and just, I don't know, just in a different position. And also the, the scene has changed quite a bit. Um, I think the Richmond hip-hop scene is very supportive. Um, I think right now, Richmond hip-hop as a scene is in its prime. I don't think there's ever, ever been a time where Richmond hip-hop has been clicking like it is right now as far as how many artists are actively uh putting out quality projects, music, events, marketing, branding, being independent, 
touching national publications and also just kind of being in their own space where like we've always been this melting pot but now there's a space for everybody um and i think yeah i just don't think there's ever been a better time so um i'm I'm very happy with, and and obviously could be better because I still think it's still like a niche thing where it's not the mainstream Richmond crowd is not still not tapped into the Richmond hip hop scene, unfortunately. So we can kind of get into these like, uh, I guess mental spaces, like where we're in our own little world. That's like a bubble um, with inside this larger area which crazy which is crazy because Richmond's just not that big. So you would think that the glass ceiling would, would have cracked a long time ago. Um but I think we're getting closer and closer to it. It's just it's just a matter of it's just a matter of time at this point. There's more and more venues that are opening themselves up to Richmond hip hop and inviting us in. Um, like the ICA, you know, the VCU. Um it's just we're you know, Champion Brewing Company. Um, there's just a lot more opportunity um, to be able to perform in, in different spaces that hip hop was not invited into uh, maybe five, ten years ago. No doubt. And I was going to say, like, that whole college scene, too. I mean, because you have three big colleges out there you got Virginia Union, you got VCU, you got University of Richmond. I mean, that's got to have some kind of effect on the scene as well, right? Yeah, not as much as I would like, though. Um, And and I'm working on that. Um, I don't feel like we cross section or intersect enough with the colleges, Um, which is another thing that's kind of odd to me. Not quite sure why we don't. Maybe that's because we don't actively pursue them as much as we should. I think that's actually something that we did more of back in when I was younger. I think there was more of that. There used to be like this open mic at VCU, VCU Commons once a month that was like the spot to go perform. Um, and there's nothing like that now, um, which is interesting because I don't see why it shouldn't be. VCU is much more popping than it was back then. Um, I just think it's a matter of, you know, just continuing to explore and, 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 and kind of just like branching out more. So that's, that's a goal um, for us is to try to bring out those college crowds or involve those college crowds a lot more than they are right now. And, you know, you mentioned too how venues are a lot more accepting of hip hop right now. Why do you think that is? Like what's been the change over the last five years where, hip-hop is more accepted in spaces that it wasn't? Um, I think there's been a lack of incidents, which is something that was always... It's not that there was always incidents, but there was just this fear of incidents. And the more, like, you know, you had Strange Matter that was open to hip-hop, you had the camel that was open to hip-hop, and then you started seeing certain publications um, support hip hop like RBA Mag and Style Weekly, 
Um, and I think as it became, and, you know, and then you just have more and more influx of independent artists just kind of taking their own, just taking things into their own hands. And I think the more and more you just saw, a, you started to see a shift where the where the public is supporting it in these different publications and there's podcasts and there's, you know, there's positive press. I think more and more people are just willing to, and then, and then, okay, the art scene in Richmond has expanded drastically. So when you have that, and then it's the, the entrepreneurial aspect too. So there's a lot of small businesses. Um, so there's some small businesses that are willing to take more chances um, with hip hop. And then you start seeing, you know, museums and different people that are, are you know, you got people like Cheeks, uh, Mark Cheatham, um, who runs the Cheese Movement uh, blog, he's put on events and he's very active on both sides of the field with the, with the hip-hop side as well as the political side and the community side. And I think it's just you start seeing these intersections happen with people that are closer to this side um, are dealing with the hip-hop side and they're kind of bringing them together and then people are like, oh, well, this was actually and this was actually fun and then nothing happened and you know it was cool so yeah I, you know I'd have them over here and and it and there's money you know um, we've had a lot of successful events um, so people you know they and there's so much of it like there's so many artists there's so many people trying to put on shows so it's like where a place may need traffic, right? Um, you got to have somebody in there who's out here actively putting on shows and then bringing out crowds. It's the hip-hop crowd. Um, so as long as there's no problems, then we'll continue to have uh, that access, uh, which is why, you know, as, an, as a person that's kind of like an ambassador of the hip-hop scene in Richmond, I'm very you know, cautious of that. I'm not cautious, but I'm I'm not cautious of it. I'm just very overprotective of it in the sense that I think any other group can get away with having incidents in these places, but we can't. Um, and, and that's just kind of the situation as it is. Right. And looking at, you know, just, just what you're doing, do you find that because of your organizing and because of, of how you are an ambassador and, and, and your role, that it's harder to get people to take you seriously as an artist? Because I've seen that in the past with artists where like they get involved in something else and then that becomes like the main piece of their identity. And like being an artist is like secondary or like a different piece that's like not taken as seriously as like the, the, the thing that they're primarily known for. Do you find that there's any of that kind of like that gets out of balance at times? Um, I think I'm just kind of moving into this space and like I'm being, I, I've been cautioned of that. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I, I would hope not. Um, I don't intend for it to be, I, I kind of put me as an artist on the forefront. Um, and I make sure that me being an artist is included in pretty much everything that I do. Um, so if I have a platform, I perform on it. I have a battle league, I battle there. Um, you know, uh, so 
I kind of, I think I, I think I do a good job of balancing and making sure that, you know, the space that I'm in, I'm still looked at as an artist, as an MC, as a person that provides music. Um, and I'll always make sure of that um, because I, I don't want it to get confused. But I, I understand perception is everything, right? And, you know, people perceive things how they perceive them. I've, I've learned that over and over again. You know, when I get too in, involved in the battle rap stuff, then it's like that's what people want to say they, they know me for. Or that's what, you know, that's what's brought up with my name more so than the music um, until I drop a project. You know, so it's like, I think with me, it's a matter of making sure that when you drop music, it's potent. So I've never had a problem with that. You know, like, I think more people know me for Jesus Never Wore a Suit than know me for anything at this point. Um, or if, if they bring up my name, Jesus Never Wore a Suit comes up. I mean, even in battle rap, I mean, it's like, it's probably been referenced, like, probably eight different battles battles that I'm not in battles that I am in. Um, so that kind of always reminds me that, you know, um, when it comes to dropping the music, it, it's still a very relevant thing. Um, so I want to make sure I keep doing that. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that question up because it definitely um, keeps me on my toes to make sure that, you know, that's not uh, what happens. No doubt, because I mean, you look at Jesus Never Wore a Suit, and that is just such a great album. What I what I love about it is um, the different issues that you speak on, and how you just have so many different topics that you're addressing on there. But overall, what I took from the album as one of the major themes is just that idea of resilience. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Uh... I think that, um, I think that, you know, that word to me is like synonymous, uh, with just my heritage, you know, it's like, I just think, I just think black people are like the most resilient people in the world. Um, specifically in America, because there's just in so many things that we've had to like overcome to be able to be who we are or even exist and be relevant and not be extinct in this country. Um, everything that was like a negative thing or a trap has somehow been able to been turned into some type of multi-million dollar industry or something that we've been able to be known for. Like even down to like specifically hip hop. You know, it's like started by poor kids that couldn't afford instruments but wanted to make music and have parties and, and turn turntables into instruments. And from that to, you know, taking songs and making songs into different productions and that production being what you wrapped on. And, you know, it, it's just literally taking nothing and making something bigger than anything else. Like, how, that's just insane to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're talking about going from absolutely having nothing and turn, taking that nothing. Like, say, that's like if somebody took pocket lint and made it, like, the used pocket lint to create the largest 
clothing company in the world. Like, imagine that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's almost what it's like to see hip-hop be the biggest music genre in the world. Um, so when I think of resiliency and a lot of the topics that I bring up in Jesus Never Wore a Suit, um, those kind of things are a going thread. No doubt. And, and you know, when you when you look at just cursing in church, you're such a powerful opener for this, you know, almost seven minutes and you have Breeze the Poet and you guys are going back and forth and really setting the tone, but also talking about just how you were born in racism. You know, I'm quoting you here and talking about just being criminalized from the jump. Like when you look at that, how has that perspective really shaped your music and your worldview? Um, I don't, my worldview, I think any black person's worldview is, is just autumn. obviously different based on your environment. But, um, once you're awakened to the difference in how you're looked at, how you have to move differently how just knowing your knowing the history behind your skin color and then watching it play out as you move about your life i think that's what more so shapes your worldview personally it's like always even though i think it's the biggest gift i have it's also you know it's also considered like a curse because you are literally not like, I, I guess that it kind of ties to like what we consider white privilege. Like people could awful off, like often confuse white privilege with having money and having specific opportunities available to them that someone else didn't. So a lot of times, like, when you hear, like, working class or, like, poor white people are very offended a lot of times when you say that they have white privilege because they have a misconception of what white privilege is. And it's really just the difference of not having to overcome something based on your heritage or your skin color. Like, literally, you never have to think about that. Like, you and have an interaction with a police officer, it never crosses your mind that I'm this color and this might happen because I'm this color. Or you walk into a store and you never consider that the people that run the store are looking at you a certain way because you're a certain skin color or should I take my hood down or should I, you know, kind of like smile more than I feel like smiling because I want to make people feel comfortable or should I tip even though the service was bad because I don't want this person to think I'm not tipping because they expect black people not to tip type of these thoughts like they're these very very small but constant everyday things that you're dealing with whether it's in school or it's applying for a job or anything like there's always these little nuances that you have to consider when you're black and or a minority in general um but specifically black um 
And I think, yes, that has shaped my worldview considerably. Um, when I think of how melanated people are treated across the world, it's not, it, you know, it, it's, it's different than in America, but there's just kind of like this overall disdain for melanated, for melanated people across the world. Um, so, but at the same time, I think we're like amazing you know, like really, really naturally amazing and connected to the earth. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting space. It's just an interesting thing. Like I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like I think it's m my best asset, but at the same time, like it's definitely challenging. No doubt. And I appreciate how you, you know, how you, how you share that throughout the album as well. And, you know, segue in that into when 16 ain't enough and you, address police violence and police murder of you know 16 shots you know um talk about that as well and 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 how important it is for you to you know bring these social injustices to light through your music um i originally wrote that as a slam poem i never i i did i i'm not a person that writes poetry specifically um but I did enter a slam, a poetry slam competition with like nationally ranked poets, um, just as a challenge to myself as a writer. And I won the slam. And that was one of the poems that I won the slam with. Um, I wrote like three poems <laughs> and, and then brought, I, I wrote three poems and brought a verse and uh use the verse and i won but that was probably my my best piece um and i started performing it at some of my shows and stuff like that and then i had this one beat for um jesus never wore a suit and i, I found this pocket in which i could deliver the poem and and um it worked so as far as why i feel like it's important it's just my experience. Like, you know, me, I'm, I'm just a very introspective, um, transparent kind of artist anyway. Like, um, what it is that going on in my life or my existence or my, my perception or the things I see or things that affect me emotionally, mentally, um, you're going to get, I was just going to, that's just going to be the case. And, um, so it's not, so much that when I'm doing it, it's like, oh, I feel like people need to hear this. I feel like that about pretty much anything that I'm speaking on. Um, it's just kind of like what's on my heart. Um, and that is a, a constant thought. You know, when these things are happening, it's scary. Like, it's literally scary. Like, you're literally like, this could happen to me tomorrow. You know, we've been, we've all been pulled over. We've all had these encounters. And that was an encounter that I experienced that I talk about in when 16 and enough. Um, and it, Oh, it's interesting, right? I'll tell you a story. I had a fan that would come to like a lot of my different shows. And um, he came to, a show where I was opening for Odyssey at Strange Matter. And I did that poem. I actually have a, a really nice recording of me doing that poem at that event. 
And uh, we were talking, he, you know, he started talking to me at another event, and he said to me, yeah, you know, um, I'm going to probably come to the, this next show, such and such, but I can't, I'm not going to bring my girlfriend. I normally bring my girlfriend, but I'm not going to bring her because she was offended at your last show when you did the when you did the poem, the 16 Ain't Enough poem. And I was like, and, and obviously, you know, he's a white guy, his, wife, his girlfriend's white. And I'm like, she was offended. Like, offended by what? Like, offended by my experience? Because there's nothing that I say in that song or poem that attacks white people. There's nothing that I say negative specifically about white people or about cops, really. I'm literally telling experiences, one mine and one Laquan McDonald's, you know. Um, I'm just kind of just giving you the facts. You know, this is what's actually happening. This is how I feel. This is, these are my concerns. This is my concern as a people. And I was baffled by that. Like, you're offended. And then it turns out she felt like, you know, I was perpetuating this narrative and that the story that I told was a fictional story that I was just telling to perpetuate a narrative. This is what ends up being told to me from her. And, um, you know, we had a little debate about it and, you know, really, really wasn't a debate. It was really more so me saying, look, this is literally my experience. This is what happened, you know, piece by piece, word for word. This is exactly what happened. I tried, I mean, obviously I paint this picture very vividly. Like, I don't know who would make this story up with those types of, that type of wording, you know, down to the, what was conveyed between me and one of the cops and all of that. So it was like, but that's how badly people want to not feel like this exists. They want to feel like this is just a narrative that the media pushes. This is just a narrative that black people push because black people want to feel victimized. And um, it just couldn't be further from the truth. It's literally the experience. It's literally why black moms have to tell their children what to do and how to act and how to speak and how to get through a traffic stop or an encounter with police and any type of encounter. Like that's literally something that black parents have to have a conversation. Black parents have to have with their children. I mean, that's in it. That's in, it, in itself. It's sad. It's a sad thing. And yeah, and it's, it's even worse when white, you know, you have white people who don't, understand and aren't willing to even have that conversation and basically give you those conspiracy theories and like you have to deal with that on top of like you know performing the song and like the emotional charge of the song itself but then like dealing with that bullshit after can't be like i'd imagine that would be hard to keep composure in an argument or a situation like that you know it to me it i think what baffles me is it's really boils down to just empathy right it is really just a human thing it's not a matter of like hey i need you to you know give me something or i need you to do something for me or i need you to feel bad or i need you to like bow down and say i'm sorry personally 
I don't need that. I just need you to understand that this is a real thing and acknowledges that and don't fight me on it. Like, those are minimal human requests based on what we're what we're talking about. Like, this is pretty clear and cut and dry and obvious that these things are happening, right? It's like, not like why do I have to argue with you that this is really happening? Why do we have to deal with these extra questions about, oh, well, maybe there was something else going on? And it's just, you know, it's like, no, like, you see this. It's, it's pretty clear, like, what's happening out here. You know, it's like, don't fight me on it. Don't tell me that, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a pity party type of thing. You know, that's just it. Like, for me, it's not an anger. I don't get angry anymore. I can, I can communicate pretty effectively. You know, I know how to talk. Um, I know how to communicate. Some people can't, and um, they get angry. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it it's easier to like lose your composure when you when you're losing the argument but for me it's not an argument that's the other thing for those that i've debated with about it they can choose to say i don't want to talk about this anymore right and go about their day and never have to think about this issue again i leave the conversation still living in the issue, meaning still if I go and get in my car, I still have to think about if I get pulled over, do I have a taillight out? Do I have to deal with this same issue that I just argued with you about that you told me I don't have to deal with? But you don't. You don't ever have to think about it again until you encounter somebody online saying Black Lives Matter, which you don't agree with. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a real thing as opposed to just a debate on, on the Internet. So, um, yeah, it, it can get frustrating from that perspective, but um, I take every now and then I take my, a moment to try to educate somebody. I'm always told, like, oh, why do you even waste your time? I mean, if I can get one person to think a little differently, like, you know, to empathize, you know, it, it sometimes it's worth it for me. Right. And that's another piece of that white privilege you brought up is being able to turn it on and off when you want. and not being able to listen and, and, and tune in and then disengage when it gets to be too much or you want to do something else. Right. Right. And, and you know, I say, yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you good. You know, when, when you look at that and you look at, you know, what you just talked about, you know, the empathy piece and also how you talk in your perspective and how you address people you know, in the song right on, you say every verse is like a sermon, you know, how much of your outlook and the way you write and, and the way you deliver your music and just the way you interact with people is from the church and from um, that kind of perspective. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't go to church as frequently as I should or used to. Um, but it's, you know, it's in me, you know, um, it's just, it's just something that, you know, I can't get, a, you know, I, I, no matter what I'm into or focused on, I'll, I'll never get too far away from. Um, so I think, you know, that plays a big part in just how I treat people in general, right? Um, 
and that's why I bring up the empathy aspect of it. It's like I have empathy for human beings, period. It's just, you know, just in general, like, by, you know, whether you're white, black, whatever, like, I just have empathy for people. Um, so when I'm interacting with other people and I don't see that same kind of empathy, that's what makes me question. It's like, but we're all, you're like, you're like a human. Like, you don't see, you don't look at this other human and say, like, damn, like, I wouldn't want to deal with that type shit. You know, it's like, it's that simple. And, and so in my music, for me, a lot of the times, right, I'm really talking to myself. Like, a lot of times, like, when it's like, oh, you, you know, you're dropping gems or, you know, people say some of my music can get a little preachy. Um, really, a lot of, most of the time, I'm really talking to myself or just kind of, like, it's just spewing what's inside me, man. Like, it's not really very strategic. I'm not a, I'm not a, con like, even though Jesus Never Wore a Suit was a very conceptual album, I'm not a conceptual writer specifically i kind of write based on what the music makes me feel like saying that's where my songs come from um and then where that goes is obviously based on what's inside me what's on my mind and what's on my heart at that particular time um and then i just kind of let it go from there um i framed jesus never wore a suit together a certain kind of way because i did you know i knew that that title had to be done as there had to be a justice done to that title um so i knew that one was going to have to be a little bit more centralized um as far as like content and you know what i was talking about and where i went with those records um but even in that um i still had to be able to you know get every you know every layer off of what I felt like the overall picture should look like, which could be a number of different things. Um, so, you know, you'll get that and then, you know, you get, you get other things, you'll get, you know, more philosophical things that aren't necessarily spiritual um, or you'll get, you know, bars, <laughs> you know, which are not necessarily philosophical or spiritual. Um, but to me, like I have to give you the whole, that whole picture. No doubt. So talk about that writing process too, because, you know, it sounds like you have to really have the beat first and then like that kind of helps determine what goes on the paper. Definitely. Always. Um, I can't, I don't, I don't really write. I don't ever really write music without a beat. The beat drives what I write. Um, whether I'm writing in my head or writing on the computer or in my phone um, depends upon the you know where I'm at and how I'm feeling. Um, for like six years, I probably didn't I didn't write into anything. I didn't physically write anything. I kept everything in my head. Um, and then maybe somewhere around Whole Foods or the climb, I started to jot stuff in my phone. And then later on, I started sitting down at the computer again. Um, and keying stuff like into my notepad on my on my computer, uh, just because it just started to get to be a little faster, like more efficient. Um, sometimes writing in your head when you're doing other things, it's like because you got to keep doubling back over it to get back to the beginning, and then 
running it just to make sure you're memorizing it and not losing it. Sometimes when you just, you know, I'm like, I can just key all this stuff out and just leave it there and just move on to the next thing. So I just, you know, I got a little more accustomed to writing again. Um, but yeah, the, the, the music is the driving force behind anything that I write. No doubt. And how do you know when you've kind of nailed it? Like what's your process like for saying like, this is something I'm going to use versus like this needs more work or this isn't really going to make it. Um, hmm. I, I, out of probably anybody that I know that makes music, I have the least amount of disposable music. Like, I very rarely record a song that I don't want to make the project. Um, now, so for each project, there may be like four or five songs that don't make the cut. But I know people that like record like 50 songs for our album. You know what I mean? Like have projects worth of extra music. I don't do that. I don't yeah, that, do that. I, that that always seemed like a big process where like you're going to just kind of like, like work smarter, not harder. Yeah. 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 But I think that comes with a certain level of consistency that not everybody has. True. I kind of just have an, I like, I have a, I have a pretty good, my taste is pretty good when it comes to like, it's either it or it ain't. And, you know, if I have a hard time writing it, that's probably where it was at. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm having a hard time writing it or having a hard time writing to a beat, I probably shouldn't be writing to this beat. And I just stop. And I, you know, that, you know, but if I really like a beat, it's something in it that that's really good. And I think that has a big, I think that, you know, I think that's like a um, an underrated talent that certain artists have is being able to pick production. There are some artists that are really, really good at it. Some artists are terrible at it that are great lyricists. And there's some artists that are just, you know, hit and miss with it. Um, like Nas is like kind of hit or miss with it. You know what I mean? But like Jay is a great person at picking production. Rick Ross is a great person at picking production. Drake is a great person at picking production. Like, you know, they know like what sounds good and what's going to fit good with their style. And, you know, and it usually works. Um, I think in AGM, I think we have a really good, I think we're all really skilled at being able to pick production myself, Nicholas F, Michael Millions. Um, and I think that's one of the key things that prevents us from making a bunch of disposable music. Nick makes a lot of music that doesn't come out, but it's not disposable. He just doesn't put it out. Mm. Um, like tons of, <laughs> tons of music that doesn't ever see the light of day. Um, but I mean, I just don't, yeah, I don't, I've never been like that. I've, you know, like if I got like a, if I got like a 16 track project and I'm, it's hard to get me to cut records too. They have to force me to cut records every time. Every time you have to force me to cut records. I was trying to put out like 21 songs <laughs> with Jesus Never Wore a Suit. I tried to make it a double album at one point. Wow. But 
Yeah, yeah, I tried. It was, but it's always for the best when I do cut. It's always for the best. I just can't see it that way when I'm when I'm when it's right in front of me. I'm like, these are all fire though. But it's like, nah, yo, just nah. You gotta make it digestible. No doubt. And you you and Nicholas F have been um, you know, rhyming together for well over a decade. And, you know, you guys go back to the, the burglar days and, and way back, you know, when he was still Nick Fury and not Nicholas F. You know, what right. do you remember about those days and and the bur you know, just being you know, the burglars and rep in Richmond at that time? Um, it was very, very different than it is today. Um we didn't spend a lot of time doing music or performing or anything in Richmond. I mean, we recorded some music here because we recorded like in his basement or in our, <clears throat> or in our apartment. I mean, his parents' basement or in our apartment when we got our apartment. Um, but a lot of times we recorded down at, down in Virginia beach. Um, and we did all of our performances down in Virginia Beach and all of our business and all the people that we worked with on music were down there. Um, we didn't really do anything in Richmond. There was a time where people thought we, in Richmond, thought we didn't rap no more. Um, and that was before, you know, social media days where you could always see what everybody was doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you either were there or you weren't there. Um, so it just was very different. And obviously with the burglars, I wasn't, I was like the honorary burglar member that wasn't officially in the burglars, but I was on the projects and, you know, I collaborated with all those guys and, you know, I had, you know, great friendships with all of them, especially East Gummy, rest in peace. Um, that was my guy, my guy. Um, and, you know, it was just a different time. We were young and, and you know, it's kind of like when I see like guys like, that you know that are how what age we were then it almost feels like i didn't appreciate being young as much as i felt like i should have um but we were having a good time man like we just really were like we just had a good time and we just did what we wanted to do it's just a very different time musically it's a very different time like you know back then you were trying to get a deal you know what i mean like that was the thing like it wasn't like you weren't just comfortable being an independent artist and there wasn't all of these different opportunities for an independent artist to get to the, to the people like there is now. Um, it just was a totally, totally different game, totally different game. No doubt. Yeah. I remember those, you know, um, it was all about, you know, what's your buzz like, you know, gotta, um, got to get this buzz up, got to get these mixtapes out, you know. Um, it was about buzz and features and big names and just trying to catch the attention of somebody from a label, really. And, like, I don't know, I think looking back on that kind of era of music, just how much um, reaches artists took, you know, like, to show that they could be right. a viable artist. Like, that was completely right. out of their Compromise. lane. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's, it's it's sad when we think about think back to that. Like there was just so much bending backwards. It was so much not being yourself. Um, and I think we're all we were all almost all um, victims of that 
to some extent or another, you know, some less than other. I, I know me, I didn't do too much talking about things that I didn't live, but, um, you know, there was some embellishments though, definitely, you know, um, whether it came to talking about money or came to talking about street shit, there were definitely some exaggerations and it was just a game. Like you were just rapping and you just saying whatever, like that was what was, a you know, that was the jungle that it was. Like everything was street. That was the other thing. Everything was street. Everything was street cred. Or you were underground, like backpack rapper. Right. There was just there was no middle ground. There was no just you're being yourself from wherever you're from type shit. You were from the south. You were from the west. You were from the east, and you were from the street, or you were a backpacker. There was there was nothing else. There was no Wiz Khalifa. There was no Wallys. No J Coles. No Drakes. No, I mean like Kanye West. That's why Kanye West, which is like a a normal person today, a normal artist today, was an alien when he when he first came out. Going by his real name, not being street, he was an alien. So that's why I always say, like, Kanye West built the door that Drake kicked down. And then after Drake kicked it down, and they had to accept Drake with all the things that were different about him, it was like the the floodgates opened up for everybody else. And you could just be whoever you wanted to be and, and make music about whatever you wanted to make it about and it was accepted um and that has been much more of a gift than a curse but as as with anything a gift and a curse no definitely because i think like you know, just take people like like conway or somebody you know you know anyone from griselda like you know what you're going to get when you when you get that you know like when you get a yeah. cole album what you're going to get. And I don't, I think the music is better. The money might not be as good or the, just the, the overall um, deals may not be as high paying, but I think the music is way better today than what it was Absolutely. 10 years ago. Especially in the, especially in comparison to the mid to early 2000s. Right. Way, way, way better. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was a time, like, you know, around the time that Hip Hop Is Dead came out, that was, like, a real thing, though. Like, there really weren't any good rappers out. And I feel like a lot of the best rappers that we were talking about back then never quite made it the way we thought they would. Right, like the mixtape guys that were winning on the mixtape. Right. None of those guys, the only guys that made it from that era were Budden, Fab. It's one other person that I can't think of right now that made it out of that. But those were the main two. And that's crazy because there were a million of them that we listened to on Clue Tapes and and uh, Yeah, Hip Hop Game. All, I mean, like, they, like they were killing the websites. Right. Yeah, you know, we were up there Hip hop yep. game, straight hip hop. Uh, shout out to H Dollar. Like, yeah, it, it was just it was a totally different game, man. 
Um, but like, yeah, it was just all buzz then. And then the blogs came, and that changed the game. And a lot of artists came out of that blog era, but that was like right after Drake. So they came right. on the heels of Drake's success, and they were Drake was one of the first blog babies. Look at like and, you 06, know, 07. right? You know, and and that you know, obviously that's another that's a whole another story um, when it comes to Drake and us and that whole thing and. Um, you know, Drake popped around 08, 09. Um, you know, our relationship with him stretched back to probably like 05. Um, so to see that whole thing um, unfold changed our viewpoint of everything. Um, you know, it's one thing to see. It's one thing to have a friend and get a deal, right? Like a rap, like a, you know, get a record label deal and, and, you know, have some success. That's that in itself is like, wow. It's a whole nother thing to see that, you know, see a friend go from aspiring alongside you to being like literally the biggest artist in the world and having possibly the best run ever in the history of hip-hop that's a whole nother thing to view um so like we to our viewpoint of seeing the game transition we've seen it from a different viewpoint um and it's been very interesting to look back on our trek through it is interesting as well yeah i bet like what are your feelings today because i know like back when you know before before folks make it, there's always that thing like when I get on, we're gonna do this or, you know, right. whoever gets on first, this is what's gonna happen. And I mean, I've even had artists tell that to me when I'm interviewing them, like, hey, you know, anytime you need an interview, no matter how big I get, like you got my number, and that number obviously changes. And, you know, what 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 has that been like for you seeing Drake's success and like how that relationship might have changed? Um, for me, we had made the decision early on. Um, I, once I noticed, um, that, you know, how fast he was going, you know, um, how fast he was blowing up. And once our communication had started to change, like when the number, like when the first number changed, like before we fell out of contact and then got back in contact again. But like when we fell out of contact the very first time, it was like, all right, look, because automatically once people started seeing him, you know, kind of blow, it's like people that around us that knew about the relationship were very like aggressive about the whole thing. Like, Oh, what's he doing for y'all? And y'all, you know, you know, da 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 da. And, you know, he can't be coming around here if he's going to be a team looking out for y'all and da-da-da-da. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, y'all are, y'all are tripping. Like, the man just getting his foot in the door, for one. And for two, you know, I told Nick, and, we you know, we made this agreement between each other, like, look, and no offense to, like, Jazzo, but this is just the terms we used at that time. Like, I'm like, yo, we can't be Jazzo. You know what I'm saying? Because this person, our friend, is like, he's not avoidable. 
Meaning, like, when you go in a barbershop, they're going to talk about him. When you're going to hear his music. If you go in a club, they're going to talk. If you get up with a girl, she might be a fan. Like, this guy is going to be huge, and you're, you're never going to not see him. So, for my own peace of mind, I can't be like, yo, fuck this dude or mad at this dude for his success or for whatever I feel like is a slight because if I feel that type of negative energy about him, I'm going to be feeling this forever and I'm never going to be able to avoid it. Like imagine like not liking a person, but like you can't get away from hearing their name. You can't get away from hearing their music. You can't. So it's like carrying a hurt or resentment about a person that you can't avoid is like self suicide, slow torture. Like, I'm not doing that to myself. So I was like, we made that decision. No matter what happens, whether he doesn't reach back or doesn't keep it cool, like, no matter what happens, Joe, we're just going to be happy for his success and just, like, be happy with everything that's happening for him so that we can, you know, go along with this in a positive fashion. Um, And that's worked for us. I mean, obviously, we've had, you know, times where we've been back in contact and hung out and even to the point of him reaching out and they did a record, um, like, for vices, um, you know, so it's like, you know, there's these times, I mean, I haven't been in contact with them in, in, you know, a handful of years now. Um, but it's always love. Like I'm a huge fan of his. I play his music all the time. I debate on his behalf all the time. Um, just as if everything was always what it was. So there's never been a love lost, um, you know, when it comes to that. No doubt. I mean, I think that's so important because, I mean, you look at a lot of relationships that like Eminem had back in the day. And I know this doesn't go for all the outsiders, but I know some of the outsiders still feel kind of slighted by that, that M didn't stand by them when he could have. And just a lot of relationships go sour. And I mean, I think holding on to that for years and years can be not only unhealthy for, just for your own mental health and your own well-being, but just not productive. It's just not, it's not, there's no way that you can win or find your own path if you're constantly holding on to resentment for someone else's successes. Um, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine feeling, you know, I couldn't imagine hating Drake. I couldn't imagine it because literally, like I said, you just can't get, you know, what, what are you going to do with that energy? You can't stop him from being successful. You can't make him acknowledge you any more than he does. So, like, what is, like, what, it only can lead to you doing unproductive shit, saying things that's going to damage you or damage him. And, like, what's the point? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that. none of that is important. Like, and, and I know if I bumped into him today, it would be love. That's the crazy thing. I just don't cross paths. Like, if I cross paths with him, it wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know that guy. Like, it never would be that. I'll, I'll bet money on it. So it's like, what's the point? No doubt. I mean, I think that's a great perspective to have, man. You know, when you look at Richmond right now, um, who should we be checking for coming from Richmond? Um, most definitely. I mean, obviously, outside of AGM. Um, you know, I would definitely say like, uh, female rappers, Cole Hicks, um, uh, I would say Destiny the Chef, she's 
right now in Atlanta. Um, as far as everyone else, you know, still Isa Leo, Joey Gallo, Mutant Academy is killing everything. So Fly Anakin, Henny Lowe, um, Noah O, obviously always one of the um, one of the guys that that's constantly pushing himself and constantly rebranding himself. Um, there's just it's just so many it's just so many people um, that are really like hooking out here. Um, I could go on honestly forever. Um, Vintage A is just one of those guys that's like literally killing um, all of the cypher that. Uh, Rapidly uh, came out of Fredericksburg. Um, another person, super dope lyricist. Um, man, like I said, I could go on forever. No doubt. I mean, yeah, I think that's huge. And something that I was really, um, I enjoyed listening to and and watching was that lecture you did at Virginia Union. You know. Are we going to see more of that in the future too, of just that academic breakdown of like who you are and, and and what your message is through your music? I would love to do more of that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that I can, you know, get more speaking opportunities, especially, you know, on a collegiate level or even, you know, high schools and stuff like that. Um, If I can be of any assistance to, um, to people that are coming up under me, um, or, you know, just, you know, it, to me, it's just an honor. Like that was like one of the most amazing opportunities that I've ever had, um, to be a part of something like that. Um, so any opportunity I get like that, um, I'm, I'm a hundred percent for. Yeah. Yeah. It's my turn. Yo, uh, uh, Band Legacy Lord, hold a treachery Lord. My rhymes in biblical sense, it's like the leprosy Lord. Don't fucking touch me, the plague is coming, the rage is coming. I don't like the way that you looking, it's like you gauging something. So let's engage in something. I might tear a page or something, I might rip a stage or something, throw you off a cage or something. The Undertaker, I bring death to mankind Turn you Sammy Davis, you'll tap dance through landmines My band legacy, Rolling Stones, Grateful Dead Mutilation, toss the body, save the head Back to the drawing board, that's where I chalk him out And I don't speak no Espanol, fuck what he talking about Welcome to Richmond, Southside, the capital Niggas get astray from ricochets and shrapnel I'm profane, no propane, a fire starter Lionhearted, God flow, you a science project Fuck your bright ideas, let there be light, nigga Get your skull rattled, head rock, your bulb shattered It's getting crazy out here, spirits haunt things You came to flaunt things, we need things, you want things Band legacy, meet the wild Pegasus It ain't no coexistence, niggas that we let exist Dear humans, I snatch dreams that fear ruin Tear through them, make their worst nightmares appear to them These niggas started smoking cigs off of peer pressure Can't swim, throw them off the dock, that's peer pressure I know that's weird flexion, shit we used to do for fun Like battle right in front of the cops, the loser had to run Band legacy, nigga, band legacy 
You niggas wanna beast. You hope we let it be. I like the counter. Every time I throw the hook, it lands. Punching like Mike Tyson. Shout out to Brooklyn hands. My shit be overhead like ghetto choppers in Compton. Metal popping, get doctors. They will not be responsive. I guess the stage is set. That's one of Harlem quotes. I'm thinking Sugar Hill or Mellow Pops if Harlem dope. Band legacy, nigga. Band legacy. Band legacy, nigga. Band legacy. Streets, music, art, and culture. Knowledge, nigga. Streets, music, art, and culture. Knowledge, nigga. Band legacy. Band legacy. Streets, music, art, and culture. Knowledge, nigga. Streets, music, art, and culture. Knowledge.